Welcome to Watershed's April podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. And I'm Tara Jeter, I'm the cinema producer here at Watershed. And this month we're going to be looking at some of the films um, that are opening at Watershed. Also, Filmic continues for its second month and we'll be looking at some new additions and some highlights for that. Uh, And also, Tara? We are thrilled that we are going to be launching our Coriada season. That's the filmmaker Hirokazu Coriada and his films will be showing across April and May in a retrospective. Uh, This follows up the release of his new film last year which won the Palme d'Or and people may be very familiar with might have seen it last year, Shoplifters. Um, So off the back of that we thought what a great time to rediscover all of his other work. Uh, He's been making film for years and all really beautiful. If you like Shoplifters you're going to love what we've got in store. I think we said in a previous podcast that um, you know, there are times when directors, you know, r- really mature um, and you, you've been appreciating their work. Um, certainly for me, um, Shoplifters was one of those films you just think, this is a director that's really at the top of their, um, top of their game. Um, and yeah, let's have a look at the trajectory of his career. You know, let's, you know, go back and revisit the work. So we'll say a bit more about that um, uh, later on in the podcast. But first, uh, two for me, really entertaining films that open in April that I just thoroughly enjoyed watching. Um, the first is uh, Jacques Audiard, French director's English-language debut, um, The Sisters Brothers, uh, a Western romp. Uh, and the other one is uh, Wild Rose, starring Jessie Buckley, um, about a, a wayward single mum, Glaswegian, um, who has got a passion for country and Western music. These are two films that I just simply, you know, gave myself over to uh, in the auditorium and thoroughly enjoyed. Obviously, the, the, the ODR is a Western, love the Western genre. It's kind of got elements, if you love the Coen brothers and if you liked their last one, you, you will love the Sisters brothers. A shaggy dog story about two bounty hunters, um, John C. Riley, who I, I, I could watch reading the, um, used to be the telephone directory back in the day, <laughs> but um, reading anything. And Joaquin Phoenix, who are uh, working for this enigmatic person, the Commodore, to go out and get back what the Commodore's owed um, and take out people that have crossed the Commodore. And it's all set against the gold rush period in the West. Fantastic sort of details, but these two, these two brothers, the sisters' brothers, um, I, I love the title. Um, I seem to be the only one that's been going about the fact of the, the playfulness of it. But, but, and they don't, they don't overplay that joke in the film either, but they are the sisters' brothers. And John C. Riley uh, is really... They're getting, they're getting a bit older, um, and John C. Riley in particular is thinking there must be more to this life than, than this bounty hunting riding all over the place. You know, can't we just settle down? Uh, whereas his, his brother Wakim is, uh, you know, seriously enjoys hunting and killing uh, people, and then they they come across the two people that they're um, hunting down in this case, played by Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz, Riz Ahmed. They begin to sort of form a relationship and see if they can get the gold themselves and cross the Commodore. So thus the plot um, develops. As I say, um, Jack Odiar is is just a brilliant um, filmmaker storyteller. If you've seen The Prophet. Um, the beat that my heart skipped, uh, Deepan, he can really, really tell a story. 
Yeah, I, so I agree to some extent. I didn't like this film quite as much as you, but I um, absolutely agree that if you like films by the Coen brothers, that you will love this. Because for me, this actually felt more like a Coen brothers film than a Jacques Audiard film. Um, and I, I think that's fine, except for that I'm less keen on the Coens than I am on Jacques Audiard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think because of uh, Audiard's previous work, Read My Lips, the films that you just mentioned, Mark, which I adore, Rust and Bone, mm. um, and I think he's always had this really interesting narrative about systems of exchange between the main characters and how they kind of uh, become able to help each other through having some communicative form or some ability that the other character doesn't have. I was really looking for that to be extended again in this, and I think that it's not so much there in this work. It's a little bit less present, which is fine, because it's obviously absolutely well, he's, fine he's, for a filmmaker he's, to do something different. He's, and he's enjoying the Western genre. Absolutely. I'm not such a great fan of, of Western genre, unless it's revisionist Western in terms of like kind of really reworking it. Um, so it worked a little bit less for me, but I definitely do agree that, you know, if you are into any of those things, like the tropes of the genre, mm -hmm. um, the, the kind of also comedic... John C, also John C. Riley, precisely. The actors, precisely yeah, the, the comedic yeah. elements, you know, the, yeah. and I think it does, do, it is really a star vehicle. It does depend yeah. how, how, how you relate to the stars in this film. Then I think you'll absolutely mm. and enjoy I, it. You know, I thought it was great seeing Riz Ahmed in there. I really like Riz Ahmed. I would have liked him to be one of the main characters in the <laughs> film, actually. I'd have liked more of him. Yeah. More of him and less of um, some of the others. Yeah. So Sisters Brothers opens uh, this month. The other film, Wild Rose, uh, okay. It's set in Glasgow. I might have had a, uh, I might have had a preference for it um, because of that. Um, but the, the, the main thing about Wild Rose is the performance from Jesse Buckley. I think we've seen Jesse Buckley as, a, as a, an actor develop through television series like War and Peace. The Last Post, which I thought she was brilliant in as the wife of a soldier living in, in 1960s Aden amongst the sort of conflict that was happening there. Um, she's, she's got a kind of underlying emotional power to her, which, which hit full force in Beast, the feature film um, that she was in, the British one. And here, because I hadn't realised that she had come up through the talent show competition looking for somebody to perform in the West End, a musical, and she came second or third, right. I think, in this... You know, so she's she's obviously a singer, performer. You know, yeah. she can do that. So with Wild Rose, where as I said um, in the introduction, she's the, it opens with, and this is not giving anything away. It opens with her being let out of jail, and one of the inmates shouting to her, "You're going to be the next Dolly Parton." Sets it up. Um, she cannot stop herself from getting on stage and singing country and western songs. She's got a tattoo on her arm, three 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 chords in the truth. Um, she's also got a, she's also a single single mother, um, and overuses her own mother um, for childcare while she's going out to the Grand Old Opry uh, in Glasgow and performing. And it, it, it's a very um, it's a kind of very by the numbers film in terms of plot. Um, you know, there's kind of Billy Elliot type vibe to it. You know, she dreams of getting away and going to Nashville and becoming a star, but you know the realities um, hit. But the simple pleasure of um, seeing Jesse Buckley rip, let rip on um, some fantastic numbers with some great bands. It was recorded during Celtic Connection, some of it, um, the performances, so very real performances. And as I say, that, that for me was right at the heart of Wild Rose, was this great musical and acting performance. 
Yeah, again, I'm, I'm going to be the slightly naysaying party because I was less <laughs> enthusiastic about it than you are. Um, not to say that it's, you know, not all of the things that you've just said, but um, I did find that the by-the-numbers plot yeah, was... Yeah, you've got to uh, go with it. I mean, it's, there's a bit a little of a... Bit there's a, there's a pant- I mean, it's a pantomime <laughs> in April, come on. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, if you can get over that sort of thing um, or go with it, as you say, except that the, the plot is extremely predictable, it takes every turn that you would expect it to, um, that sure, it is enjoyable enough. Yeah. I enjoyed the predictability of it. <laughs> in these uncertain times. <laughs> nice to have something that's predictable, exactly, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. And and um, I, I was keen to because there's a big, you know, kind of country western skiffle etc. Music scene in Bristol, so I was keen to sort of make the links. And we're doing a um, an event uh, during the run of the Wild Rose. So on Wednesday, the seventeenth of April, we've got Bristol band Poncha Train. Um, that are going to be performing in Watershed Cafe Bar, uh, which should be free, and they'll be performing about 9.30 uh, on that night, and having a, a woman lead singer, Sinead McCabe, that'll be performing, I'm sure, um, some of the numbers. So as I say, those uh, uh, Sisters Brothers, Wild Rose, two um, very entertaining, um, enjoyably predictable in some ways, and toe-tappingly good. Also, uh, this one, uh, one of the films that we talked about um, when we're looking forward at the year ahead in film, um, is Happy as Lazaro, uh, which finally opens this month. This is Alici Rohrwacher's new film, the Italian director, and we, we screened her um, previous film, The Wonders, which I thought was a I love fun, The Wonders. Absolutely brilliant film. You really got the sense with The Wonders that, you know, here's a director to watch, you know, I mean, here's a director yeah. of great talent who's, this is the kind of first, I think she'd made a film before that which hadn't really got wide release, but with The Wonders you thought, oh, this is this is a really interesting new voice um, coming out. Completely, I was just, I remember being thrilled when I saw that film, I was just like, oh, thank goodness, there's another new filmmaker that's yeah. going to light up our lives with mm-hmm. exciting cinema yeah. for years to come. And, and rather wonderfully with Happy as Lazaro, she follows up on that promise very much so, I feel. Um, this is a kind of, you know, she she manages to mix fairy, a sort of fairy tale mood. You know, people go for magical realism. There's elements of that. There's a kind of time bending quality, certainly in the storytelling. You're not quite sure um, when you're watching the first half of the film when it's when it's set. And in some ways, the 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 less you know about the film, I think, the more you'll get out of it. Um, if you enter into Alici Rohrwacher's world and Lazaro's world, and the, the main character Lazaro's, you know, kind of one of these um, great holy fool type figures. What I'm especially looking forward to um, with this film actually is getting into the themes and the conversation a little bit more because I think it is an incredibly rich film. I think there's a lot to unpick and to discuss um, and I think there are lots of questions that the film throws up that you know require some kind of meditation. So um, we have uh, again joined up with the University of West England um, to do a conversations about cinema event with this film. So we will have a uh, conversation after one of our screenings, which will be on the 9th of April. Mm. Um, and Mark, you'll be one of the speakers because mm-hmm. you're a big fan of this film. Um, and also Francesco Tava, who is senior lecturer in philosophy at UE. And um, already I had a chat with him. He's got some fantastic mm. insights. So I really strongly encourage you to come to that session because I think you will 
definitely have questions that you want to talk to someone about after this film. It, it is, it's, it's, you see, it's, it's very rich and you want to sort of, you want, you want to stay with it and you want to sort of unpick what you've just seen. And I'm, I can't wait to talk to Francesco about it because obviously he's Italian. Um, I think it's saying a lot about Italy. Um, it and I think it, it comes, you know, on the back of like uh, Matteo Garoni's Dog Man. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some, an interesting thing happening in Italian cinema at the moment, which is reflecting on reflecting on the state of Italy, I think. Um, and I think Happy's Lazzaro in particular, and that's what I'm really keen to discuss uh, with Francesco. And also the links to the past and also to the traditions mm. of Italian cinema. Mm. I mean, I think for fans of Fellini or films like The Tree of Wooden Clogs, there's a lot, of, uh, there's a lot to pick up on yeah. from those influences also. Yeah. Another new film is um, wonderful film, Rafiki, uh, from Kenya, uh, which which was the first Kenyan film to play at the Cannes Film to be selected for the Cannes Film Festival. It played when it played there. Um, it's the story of a gay relationship between two teenage girls, uh, which becomes more complicated by their fathers running for political office. So it's kind of played against a kind of wider political, and it's further complicated by. Um, the fact that Kenya, unfortunately, has very harsh uh, laws against gay sex, mm. um, and you know, whilst this film is a, you know, in, in, in sort of UK terms, it's a, it's a kind of straightforward love story, um, two teenage girls. It's it's um, it's fantastic, but in Kenya, it, well, it was banned, um, and you see that actually it's a really kind of radical piece of work. Um, so it might not be as radical in, in sort of UK terms, LGBT, but um, certainly in Kenya, it, it's, as I say, it was banned and it's quite a groundbreaking film for raising wider the kinds of issues. But I think just simply as a film, there's so much to enjoy in it. The cinematography, the colours, the vibrancy of it, the, the relationship between the two, the two um, protagonists is great. And I thought it was a really fantastic film. And we're also having a conversation with this film, so uh, it's another one to get slightly deeper stuck into, uh, again, with some of those issues, and, and I think it's a, you know, a great film to kind of centre a conversation around, mm. um, and it releases on the 19th, so we'll have a special conversation that evening um, after the film, so mm. definitely join us for that if you want to find out a little bit more about the context um, yeah. and the why. Yeah, and as I say, um, as an as a entertaining film, it... it I thought it was fantastic. Um, it's obviously surrounded by this much wider context, but um, just going to watch it as a film, very entertaining and great for a teenage audience, actually, because it's about friendships and it's about that, or oh, is this more than a... F actually, the title, Rafiki, is Swahili for, for friend, which, of course, is then a euphemism in Kenya for, you know, mm. this is my friend. But it is that thing about the awkwardness of relationships um, and do they like me, do they not? And I think it just speaks kind of across... To, you know, to, to a wider audience. But on to uh, Corrieda, Tara. Um, we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that this was clearly a director that we wanted to do, celebrate and show as many of his films as we can. So what can audiences expect? I am so excited for, for, for myself to rewatch them, but also for people who either if you're re-watching some of these films or if you're watching them for the first time, um, whether or not you've seen any Corridor films or if you've you've maybe saw Shoplifters as the first film. Um, I think the great thing about his body of work is that any point is a really great entry point, really. It's, it, it's sort of 
possible to watch any of his films in any order. I mean, obviously, we have put them in a specific order for reasons, but yeah. to watch them in any order because they they basically have a continuity of themes and, and a continuity of emotional intelligence, which I think is um, you know the sign of a really great filmmaker that's obviously reaching for the same things throughout his career and constantly telling that same sort of story in a different way. But it also means that it just enriches your experience to see more of his work. Um, every film is enriched by another one and there are these really subtle links between lots of the films as well. So some of the major themes that he deals with um, are things like family, um, questions of not dysfunctional families but I guess um, unusual well, different, families. I was going to say different families. Like, <laughs> Different family yeah. dynamics, unusual family dynamics. Um, sometimes they are to do with questions about nature versus nurture in like father, like son. Sometimes they're to do with questions around what happens when you have a profound death in the family or a traumatic event in a family uh, that changes family dynamics. And do you, how do people come in and out of a family space. So all of those sorts of questions really come up in his film. Obviously because of that, um, his influences being filmmakers like Mikio Naruse and Yasujiro Ozu mean that he also has a great fascination with um, these sort of family settings and the meal, the family yeah. dinner. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of cooking actually. And in one of, one of his films, After the Storm, which is a, a fairly recent one, there's a fantastic line which the actress Kirin Kiki, who's in six of his films as a matriarchal figure in all of them. She's a grandmother in most of them. Um, she's cooking and she talks about uh, people are like a, a stew. You need to let have time for the flavors to sink in. Mm. You know, mm, and it's, this, great, it's, um, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, image, yeah. it's this sort of concept of um, how how time operates as well and spending time together with people, particularly over shared meals. Um, and in Japanese culture, they have what's called a kontatsu in the family um, room, which is where you sit and eat dinner. But it's also the hearth of the family home because yeah. underneath the table is a heater. So in winter, right. you sit at the kontatsu yeah. with the um, blanket over your legs mm. and everybody is around it and it's this big mm. moment of kind of coming together and sharing and so a lot of the kind of cultural references which I think for anyone interested in Japanese culture definitely come out in the films but also just those very universal themes mm. of how we relate to each other um, the films are so beautiful and I'm always surprised as well at, by how remarkably well uh, creator is able to capture the spirit of children. I really think that a lot of filmmakers mm, are just not able to do this in a way that he does. And we're starting the season with one of my favorite of his films. I said that about most of them, to be <laughs> honest. But I Wish, um, which is all about young kids. Yeah. Uh, and this is totally a family film. It's really beautiful. It's about two young boys and their family is sort of splitting up their mother and father and one of them's going to live with each parent. And they, they hear and they find out that if two Shinkansen, which is the fast bullet train in Japan, cross each other at exactly the right moment, you can make a wish on them like a shooting star. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And so it's all about trying <coughs> to catch this, this group of boys, the two boys that are separated and also their friends, trying to find a way to, to reunite on this sort of hopeful moment of uh, two bullet trains passing and it's, it's just incredibly beautiful uh, he also takes the filmmaker also takes I think really incredible stories from the news so he had a background in documentary filmmaking um, and he's taken for films like Nobody Knows and 
shoplifters, basically news stories about families that were mm. that were quite shocking in Japan when they came out in the news, and then turned them into dramas and kind of imagined what might it be like for those people. So he's also interested in a kind of realism and looking at what are the difficulties in modern society and how people struggle. Um, I mean, those are just literally a few of the headline themes, um, and I would say that there is a lot more to talk about. Because of that, we will be doing uh, an introduction yeah. to Coriada as well. So. On the 14th, uh, we'll also have an introductory talk for an hour. So for anyone diving in for the first time, if you are interested, there's so much to explore. You really do want to immerse yourself in his, his world and his work. You, you said emotional intelligence, and that's absolutely it. He, his films have got an emotional intelligence to them that you come away, you come away with a, um, um, you, you come away with a better view of humanity than, than you started off with. You know, he, he manages to make the connections between people, um, and you see not just families but different kinds of families. You know, which is interesting from a Japanese perspective because you know the family is such a kind of solid unit. But he's got different kinds of families, as you say. But the emotional connections between them, I mean, there's just that fantastic sequence in in shoplifters where they go to the beach and it's it's just incredible uh, emotional warmth to it so the beach is also another the like, recurring trope beach. in yeah. his films i mean in our little sister i mean yeah. it comes up time and time again and actually it's such a fascinating site because also the beach and the ocean is a really fascinating site i think in japanese culture as well, well. Of course, all the it's way all about back to, yeah. ghosts and yeah. this sort of like fantastical undersea yeah. worlds but also the idea of like the tides changing and the waves and things mm. turning over and again that kind of passage of time but the also the endless expanse of the ocean so we do we get these beautiful that come up and it is across the films which is why not, I would say it's great to yeah. watch a number of yeah. them if you and they're can. Not, they're not extreme in the sense that you know Kitano, Takeshi Kitano was making extreme films so a great opportunity and you've written some um, a piece on Corrida as well which we're going to be publishing Yes, um, there are there are several pieces we can point you to, um, yeah. and also obviously the introductory talk. So if you, yeah. I mean, you know, yes, do ask us, do stop me if you see me. I, w I can talk to you about Coriada for hours, and be more than and, happy and, to. And, and trust me, Tara <laughs> is quite happy to talk for hours on Coriada, um, and he deserves that uh, talk as well. Finally, this month, an update on filmic uh, season, exploring the creative connections across film and music which um, we're doing partnership with St George's Concert Hall and Colston Hall. We're doing, uh, there's a theme around minimalism that's been explored this month with quite um, fantastically, we've got the high priest of minimalism, Terry Riley. Uh, if you know the extraordinary piece of music he did in C, um, which has been performed a, a quite a few times now um, in and around Bristol, um, amazing piece of minimalism. Um, you can find out more about Terry Riley and the other priests, high priests, people like Philip Glass and a documentary conductor, Charles Hazelwood, uh, did for um, BBC Four, Tones, Drones and Arpeggios, which we'll be screening at Watershed. Um, so that's a great um, introduction to the world of minimalism. Um, Charles went out and interviewed all these very influential musicians and he's going to be introducing the screening at Watershed. Um, Terry Riley is going to be performing at St George's that evening. Um, and then later on in the month, DJ Chiba is going to be presenting a set at St George's, which is remixing uh, minimalism. 
um, in exploring the audiovisual impact of minimalism. And then finally, I'm really delighted to be screening a film that was made of Portishead singer Beth Gibbons' performance, extraordinary performance of Goretzky's Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, which was a performance that was made in Poland um, a few years back. Beth was invited to sing the words for this uh, piece that Goretzky had written. Beth uh, learnt the words in Polish um, and then delivered um, in that haunting voice. The words um, come from three different um, time periods of women reflecting on uh, mourning or lamenting loss. The performance was captured a couple of years back and has been released on audio and also as a, a DVD, but um, I really wanted to screen this in the cinema. Um, so it'll be, be an amazing experience to see it in the cinema. Uh, it was captured by Bristol-based uh, filmmaker John Minton, who works regularly with Portishead, um, and the visuals and the performance um, are really uh, something to be experienced, as I say, in the cinema. So looking forward to screening that over the Easter weekend. You can find out more about the films that we've been talking about, the Corrie this season, um, and also filmic at watershed.co.uk. And that's all for this month.